that's what the incarnation ultimately is. When there's new information that sort of shifts your paradigm, that's where your mind is drawn to say, wait, wait, what's that? I want to see that more. And how close personal Jesus begins to emerge. Welcome to the Essentially Translatable Podcast, brought to you by Lutheran Bible Translators. I'm Richard Husky. And I'm Emily Wilson. And we are wanting to wish you a Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. It's that time of year again, our favorite time of year. And we got to thinking about, you know, what do we want to talk about on Essentially Translatable this Christmas? And uh, a Bible translation ministry really digging into the translation of Scripture, engagement with Scripture, is... Inherently, when you get that close to culture and language, it's just an incarnational ministry. And so we put our heads together and said, let's talk about and dig into a little about the incarnation, that aspect of Christmas. So we really hope you enjoy this episode where Rich and I unpack a little bit of the incarnation throughout Old Testament, New Testament, and some examples of Bible translation in the incarnation. Yep, and we pray that you're blessed as we think about those implications of incarnation, how they aren't just a nice topic to talk about, but they're a very present reality in our lives as we walk in our walk of faith as Christians. Merry Christmas, everyone, listening to the Essentially Translatable podcast. We are here in the studio. Merry Christmas. And we were going to talk some about the incarnation, just kind of dig in a little bit on that. Uh, concept because that's the amazing and just fantastic thing that happened at Christmas is God became a man born in a stable mm-hmm. and uh, or a little hotel it's hard to know or a little guest room somewhere. There's a manger. There's we know a manger that. at we least. Know we know that yes because that was part of the sign mm-hmm. and in that little baby is also the second person of the Trinity and in the second person of the Trinity today there's a human being and all of this and more. So we're just going to spend a little bit of our Christmas time um, digging into this concept of incarnation and talking about some things that the Bible says and how we got there and uh, some of the implications. So let's dig in. Where do you want to start? Okay, so you have a whole list of passages in front of you. Yes. Um, but wanting to just kind of give our listeners an idea of where in the world we're going. And yeah. uh, we'll try to also maybe take it a little bit slow so that you're also able to maybe open up your Bibles and read it for yourselves. And we'll, we're going to be externally processing. Listeners, we we love you. You've heard us externally process before. All right. Um, that's not your jam. You can just turn it off. Now. Oh, no, no, no. <laughs> Don't turn it off. <laughs> Don't turn we're it assuming off. that it's possible that, you know, there's that part of Christmas break where you've been on break and you're hanging with your family and now you still haven't gone back to work yet. Mm. And you're like saying, maybe I need to get away a little bit. So I'm going to turn on. I'm going to hang out with Rich, Rich and, Emily. and Emily. Yeah, and yeah. listen to them talk about incarnation. Yeah. So, so Rich, you have in front of you a Greek Septuagint of uh, the Old Testament, as well as the Hebrew of the Old Testament, which, you know, as I'm looking at it, it's like, it's fun because, you know, Hebrew is right to left. And so right. like, it looks like you're at the end of the Bible. Right. In fact, you're at the beginning. It's front to back and right, right. to left. Right, yep. exactly. Yep. So um, our passages that we were looking at, starting in the Old Testament, 
Genesis, really, from the beginning of thinking about Genesis 3.15. So flipping there and the context being, of course, that Adam and Eve have um, eaten the fruit. They have sinned against the Lord and the direct disobedience results in their direct punishment, this curse. But in the same story, in the same breath, the Lord also promises for the redemption of his creation. So Genesis 3.15, God speaking to uh, actually Satan in this, the serpent, uh, and I will cause hostility between you, Satan, the serpent, and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. He will strike your head and you will strike his heel, is what the New Living Translation says. Um, you have the English Standard Version up, I think, Rich. Yeah, yeah. It's basically, I mean, just not as clear English, basically. <laughs> Sorry, ESV people, but no. I will put enmity between you and the woman, so this constant state of hostility mm-hmm. uh, between your offspring, or Hebrew says seed, which mm-hmm. is actually a thing that carries through, and almost any time you see offspring in a in an English translation, the Hebrew word is going to be seed, mm-hmm. um, which is kind of just a little bit earthy, but yeah. but it's yeah the descendant right. And so between your seed and his seed, um, he'll bruise your head, you will bruise his heel. So there's some idea that the the way this is eventually going to get resolved is this ongoing strife, but ultimately the descendant of the woman is going to strike the head, and mm-hmm. that sounds pretty final and the descendant of satan is just going to cause a lot of pain Mm -hmm. uh, but it's in comparison just like striking the heel so right yeah so the point that we're kind of getting at with that is this is the first genesis actually the beginning of Mm -hmm. the idea that god's going to do something here and intervene there's actually not something here at this point that tells us it's going to be god himself that is Mm -hmm. the descendant of the woman right so but we get this beginning idea Mm -hmm. Um, in fact if we go over to genesis 4 1 that's when adam and eve are now outside the garden of eden and it says in 4 1 she conceived and bore cain and if you know the bible narrative we know cain's (laughs) not a great guy but she says i've gotten a, a man with the help of the lord or so i've given birth what's the nlt say do you have that there with the Lord's help, I have produced a man. Yeah, so it's like we, again, assume, I assume that this is the first child then that she's had, so this is like a new experience in mm-hmm. human history. And But it's sort of like the undertones of she heard this promise and she kind of thinks, well, okay, here it is, so yeah. we're going to go. And ultimately, of course, that's not what's going to happen, and Cain actually just introduces more sin into the world. And mm-hmm. there's a little, just a side note there, but it, whenever humanity tries to think we've got it figured <laughs> out, it's not nearly as good or it's actually quite bad compared to what God was planning to do. Right. Well, and we were just reading in Proverbs this morning in our devotions text that the man has all these plans, but really it's the Lord's will that prevails. But thinking about how right from the beginning, before creation, that the Lord knew that this is what was going to happen and that he had a specific plan for his sacrifice of coming and recognizing as humanity that he loved us so much that this great sacrifice of coming into the world and bearing our burdens and that feeling that tension of the evil from the deceiver and the wounding 
but also the the triumph that happened. So what is central, and it feels maybe so familiar, it's foundational to our faith that sometimes, you know, just the glossing over, but that promise right from the beginning is this anatomy, right, of like actually stepping on and then crushing of is all embodied. And, you know, we work from that, this is what we understand. This is what we know. And so other passages throughout scripture have this embodiment language. And so looking at Exodus, for example, we're going to be turning into Exodus 15, sharing some examples of this embodiment of God. And I'm going to have you read from the English Standard Version, because I think We'll get the New Living Translation as well. But the idea of sometimes there's this removal that can happen, uh, the separation of this, you said before, this earthy yeah, I, <laughs> sort of imagery, this earthy imagery that we try to remove ourselves from. And you'll unpack that a little bit for us, right, Rich? Yeah, the, I mean, in the the ancient text, the Genesis text, the patriarchs, and, you know, in the earlier books of the Old Testament, God is pretty close to people, and, and people talk to him, he talks to them, they they see him. And that's just the way, there's maybe a number of factors. It's the, probably the mindset and the worldview of people. So we, all scripture is inspired, but it's also inspired and delivered in time and a context and a place. Mm-hmm. And so the worldview of the people, very aware of spiritual power and gods and things mm-hmm. like that. But just the way, the familiarity that they talk about God. Exodus 15.3 in the English Standard Version says, The Lord is a man of war. The Lord is his name. So you got the Lord and he got a man of war, so very much these human characteristics of him. And the Lord there is his proper name, Yahweh. And this, by the way, Exodus 15, is the song following the, the destruction of the Egyptians in the Red Sea. Mm-hmm. And uh, this is the song that follows. So it's actually some of the oldest remaining Hebrew that exists, too. It's, and in Exodus 15:3, it reads in Hebrew, Yahweh Ishmaelchama, Yahweh Shemo, which again means Yahweh is a man of war. Yahweh is his name, which is exactly basically what the English Standard Version has there. The New Living Translation is pretty close to this, but go ahead and... Right. So, the Lord is a warrior. Yahweh is his name. Yeah. So, a warrior, which is, again, ultimately, that's a man of war, but it still doesn't sound Mm -hmm. quite as, like, right there, a man of war. But what we're kind of trying to just, or to, to demonstrate here is that as the history of God's people developed and as other language uh, developed as well and the the Word of God was translated into Greek first, the Old Testament, part of that also just creates different language, a different worldview, and, and a lot of what happens in the the Greek Old Testament is sort of softening this, this thing up and creating a little distance between people and God. So mm-hmm. the Greek Old Testament is translated much later after the Babylonian exile, there's all kinds of Hebrew people, or that they, at this point, begin to refer to themselves as Jewish people, mm-hmm. scattered all over the place, many whom never returned to Israel after the exile, and they speak Greek, so they can't even access the, the Hebrew text. And so a decision was made at some point. The number one thing about God's Word is it needs to be understood. So mm-hmm. it's okay to translate it, and it's still God's Word if you translate it. So mm-hmm. just a little plug for <laughs> Bible translation. But that's that's the first time in history that the idea mm-hmm. arises as well, and it's still 
just as much God's word. Uh, and yet, language and translation is complicated. In Greek, Exodus 15.3 says, Kuria sun tribon polemus, which means Yahweh destroys in war or is mighty in war. Mm. Uh-huh. And then Kurios uh, onoma to the Lord is his name. Mm-hmm. And so that's, that's a different thing than is a man of war. It's yeah. like talking about his power and his majesty. And just in the, in the whole vein in conversation of talking about incarnation, we're going to wrestle with the tension that there's, you know, both things are true, that the Lord is majestic, all-powerful, mm-hmm. all-knowing, and yet in the incarnation of Jesus, all of that is also personal and close and near and right. in a body. I think that too, something of just being able to understand what the Greek philosophy was, you know, surrounding the temporal, the corpus of yeah. that, there was a separation of, in Greek philosophy, of that the the body, the things that we see, the things that we can touch, was not sacred, or that it was, we were always striving for something spirit beyond our, our ability to really interact with in earthy ways. And so, being able to recognize that there are some influences that happen there culturally of it's uncomfortable to imagine God incarnate because it's messy, right? I know that being able to talk about the closeness to humanity, that, that was very integral of, you know, the tabernacle and God's presence among his people. But sometimes we remove the the actual presence from that it it becomes heavily spiritual only without the the physical and i think that you know there may have been some some struggle in that with the the greek influence of culture and philosophy and into the translation of uncomfortable to equate the lord with humanity like a man of war and instead saying i'm going to work through this means, through people, but not be equated himself. And so just this tension of like this rejection of the earthy right. and, and into only spiritual. And there are all kinds of heresies that have developed over sure. the years uh, yeah. related to that. It creates an artificial dichotomy, really, mm-hmm. and that's that's the thing. And And of course, we're not... We're not Greek or anything like that, but our worldview and the the what's generally called the Western worldview and approach and outlook to the world is significantly influenced by this idea, this stronger separation of spiritual and physical. Mm-hmm. And, and they are separate, but they're not strongly separate. You can see in many other places in the world, even today, and from ancient literature, from sources that are outside of Greek-influenced Western places, that there's just a much more integrated view of things that are spiritual and physical. Mm-hmm. So the point for, we assume most of our podcast listeners are more from a Western audience, and so for you folks, we're just really kind of leaning in on the fact that incarnation then really, especially in this season when we can focus on this aspect of who Christ is, it really gives us the opportunity to remember how you know, everything is spiritual and and physical mm-hmm. and integrated and uh, no more so in any other way or space than Jesus himself. And that's what happens 
at Christmas and then through the the life and work of Jesus. And I mean, the there are other books in the Old Testament. If you sort of just begin to see, for a number of reasons, um, the story of of God's people get the prophets. So then you don't see God speaking as much directly to people, although God speaks to those prophets mm-hmm. a ton. Mm-hmm. But then Ezra, Nehemiah, Esther is a lot of just kind of God's presence is mentioned and alluded to, but you don't actually really see him speak much at all in those. You get to books that recount things between the Old and New Testament, and they're a lot like Ezra, Nehemiah, and Esther in terms of just they're recounting the history, and people have a great history and a trust in God, but you don't see a lot of God speaking, part of which is alluded to in Malachi as well, that there will be a great prophet, and then there's this like Hmm. long silence, right? Mm -hmm. And then you get... Jesus coming in. In Luke, you've got, uh, in those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken in the entire Roman world. So you have Caesar Augustus issue a decree that moves Joseph to where he's supposed to be for Mary to give birth, for Jesus to be born in Bethlehem, because that's what's prophesied. You know, God moving. And then um, we're going to take in John, this is like some of the biggest and highest theological language (laughs) about, you know, what is really happening with Jesus. He's referred to as the Word, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. The Word was God. All right. He was there with God in the beginning. Everything that was made was made through him. That just keeps like just Mm -hmm. unpacking like there's this huge like Mm mind-blowing concept. And then it it really reaches a point at 114. In Greek it says, Kai logos sarxagenita, which is and the Word, flesh, and... uh, Kai Eskneson and Hamin, which means he became flesh and tabernacled among us, tabernacled, he camped, he tented, he, like mm-hmm. he was in and present with us, mm-hmm. but mobile and moved around mm-hmm. and was just right there as part of life and experience. So this word that's the creation and beginning of all things becomes that, like all kind of wrapped up into a tent. And then I'll just read the rest of the verse and we'll unpack it. Kayathe mestha tain doxon we saw glory out to his glory. Doxon hos monegonus, that's parapatros, it's the the glory of the only begotten unique one. Like we don't have a good English word for this, but it's the same thing in John 3.16, the only begotten son, right, or the unique son. From the father... Play race, which is full, charitos kaialetheus, of grace and truth. This is what Jesus tabernacling among us is. It's this word, it's in a person, ultimately overflowing, filled to the brim with both of those things. So let's talk a little bit about that's, you know, in a sort of a cosmic perspective, put on that frame of reference or those goggles where you can see this is what's happening. Well, first of all, I just want to acknowledge the fact that so many people say, like, start with John for people who are unfamiliar with the gospels. And, and yet I'm, I think I've said this before on the podcast, like, Oh my goodness, like this is so complex, but such amazing news, especially when you're thinking about in the wandering in the wilderness and how they were so dependent upon the Lord guiding them in a, pillar of cloud and the pillar of fire and his presence in the tabernacle and this this holy space but it was in the camp 
you know, yeah. it was among the people right there yep. and not set up on a high mountain somewhere. And that this word becoming flesh and making his dwelling among us. So the new living translation, I, I appreciate um, because sometimes we don't use the word dwelling. Yeah. Even though I love that word, right. it's not something that we use very much in the English language. So the New Living Translation in verse 14 of John 1 says, So the word became human and made his home among us. He was full of unfailing love and faithfulness, and we have seen his glory, the glory of the Father's one and only Son. I wanted to just, you know, talk a little bit about that tabernacling word yeah. and a little bit more because it's it's an interesting word. He dwelt among us or he tabernacled among us. A tabernacle, when you go back to the Old Testament, is it's like it's this holy place and yet it can move yeah. around. And that means that it's not so set apart that it's inaccessible. Mm-hmm. It's where you need it to be. It's near you. It gets set up in places sometimes that you don't expect it to get set up, but that's where you are. <laughs> And so, and Jesus definitely in his life, right? He, he was in Jerusalem, but he was in Samaria talking to a woman at the well, like you're not supposed to do that. You're, he's in the Gerasenes where there's this demon possessed man. And there's actually quite a bit of that kind of activity there. The Decapolis, which is like just this area that's set aside to the worship of many false gods. And he's always in these places that you don't expect him to be, but that's where grace and truth needs to be. Mm-hmm. And yet he's also in the temple itself and among the the folks who are you know more overtly strongly religious and practicing more formal and organized religion as well so it's just an interesting way to talk about like he dwelt among us yes he lived among us but also moved around among right. us and was everywhere yeah that, and he was visible to yeah. the the jew and the gentile like in the same way that in the wilderness Others would have seen the pillar of cloud and fire and they would have been surrounded in the wilderness by other communities, other people besides Israelites. And so taking that imagery of here's this this people group that's moving around and God being at the center and God being visible to other nations and that other nations also camped among the Israelites. Yes. And in the same vein, you're saying like of Jesus moved around. He didn't stay in one area. You know, he didn't stay in the holy city of Jerusalem and only proclaiming good news to the the good Jews, you know, the teachers of the law, but instead that he was incarnate among and to the nations and, and bringing healing and his presence to the nations and that he also called his people to be incarnate among the nations as right. well and the embodiment of him yeah to go right and then uh, you know ultimately even just in the scope of the whole world the person jesus's physical movements on earth are mm-hmm. are not a huge swath of land no. but enough variation there that you see that uh, and the the result of this is no particular nation or a group of people has a claim on Jesus that he's only their God or that, you know, he belongs only to them. The incarnation of Jesus 
ultimately is for everyone. Uh, the part of the Shakalahari text I wanted to look at, I've got a, a Shakalahari Gospel of Luke. So Shakalahari is a, a language in Botswana. It's the language that my family and I helped start a Bible translation in. And the first Christmas that we were there, the very first text that we translated was Luke chapter 2, 1 to 20. The first time we we translated it, it needed some work, but we printed it and distributed it, and that was a big flop because Shikalahari had not been a written language used very much before, so there was a lot of distractedness about how things were written mm-hmm. and arguments about, like, you know, it doesn't make sense, and it's true, there was work to be done on it. So we took the exact same text, though, and recorded it, and then this is long enough ago that we distributed it out on CDs, mm-hmm. and people had CD players, and they loved it. I mean, it's exactly the same text, but this this hearing in your own language, a story. First of all, there's something incarnational about that in itself that was beautiful, that people had, you know, there was, Christianity is not completely foreign to the Kalahari people, but it's generally been communicated in a different language, the Bible that's used as a Bible from a neighboring language. And so that brings with it an element of distance Mm -hmm. to it. And to hear a story about, you know, Christmas, Jesus' birth, ultimately incarnational, in your own language is very incarnational itself. And I'm going to read verse 10. This is after Jesus is born, the angel appears. And in Shekalahari, it's Moangele Abaraya Ari, it's the angel said to them, Shechoche, which is don't fear. Bona, look. I'm bringing to you a good word, a word that's good. A word that's going to, it's going to cause rejoicing for all people. It's today. That's the in the city of David. Has been born for you a savior, but this word zalelwa is. It's to be born, but it's made passive. That uh, wa at the end makes it passive. And that's not a normal way of saying it. And it was chosen on purpose because it makes you stop. It makes you say, what do you mean? <laughs> born born to you in, in passive English, you know, it would be like something's born, but you didn't bear it. It was born by someone else, but is born for you. Yeah, there's, there wasn't a really perfect way to say that, but it makes you stop and start to have the discussion, which is a great thing in Shikalahari speaking culture. Why are we not saying just Zelela, a savior is born? We want to know that it's born on your behalf. This is for you. And to say that in it is like the beginning of saying this thing is really close. This isn't just something that's for someone else or far away. This is this is the incarnation. This is close to you. It's for you. That God's gift is for you right. and that it is close. It is it is nothing that was earned, right? Yeah. And instead, um, that the gift was given freely and it makes no sense, right? Like yeah. as far as human logic, the incarnation is folly. Again, like drawing from Genesis 3, of like yeah. it makes no sense why the Lord would, from all of creation, know that we were going to sin against him, and he created us anyway, right. and yet this is the love of the Lord. 
Yeah. And it was a great experience to hear. People just loved listening to that text. They knew the story, and yet it was different to hear this say mm-hmm. that that word particularly. Mm-hmm. And and to then hear to explain and to start thinking, okay, you know, if there was an angel that was gonna appear and tell us this, if they was appearing in our fields telling our shepherds this, this is what they would say. Mm-hmm. And that just brings it close in a way that I don't know, it's hard to describe when you have you've always had access to scripture in your language. It's just, you know, I grew up here in that story. I can remember the first time I realized and made the connection in my little brain, okay, Christmas is about Jesus being born and that's for me. And yeah, to not, you know, to have tried to hear that in some other language and try to wrestle around with that and the foreignness that that implies is really. So again, distance versus closeness. God is over all things majestic, but he's also close. Mm-hmm. And the incarnation shows that. Mm-hmm. So I had just a couple other passages from Shakalahari that sort of show you like the importance of making things more familiar. And so the again, the background here is that just using other language and sometimes antiquated language has had the effect of making Jesus seem sort of mysterious and distant mm-hmm. in the Vakalahari culture, like other spirits or ancestors may be. In Luke 19, there's the... Uh, triumphal entry on Palm Sunday. Before that, Jesus goes and tells them to take a donkey for him. And in verse 31, he says to his disciples, when you go in there, you're going to find this small donkey. So Tonkana, when that was first in there, everybody said, what is this? Um, And the the text that they had, the liturgies that are there in the area using uh, the neighboring language, use this other word, isala, which is an older word in those languages, meaning donkey, but most even in that neighboring language, they say this word tonki for donkey instead. So they had just come to expect that whatever it was Jesus was riding on was some you know, mythical creature type thing it, it, equivalent that Jesus has clearly not earthy. And it's just a thing that made him more distant. So again, maybe I'm just really beating the drum hard here, but when you understand, they really wrestle with, are you saying that Jesus was just riding a small donkey, a tonkana? Like that's not, that's not what we are used to expecting to see that Jesus is going to ride on or hear that he's riding on. That makes him more like us. Mm-hmm. And there's something powerful about that incarnationally yeah and just as you're you're talking about all of these examples that it is um brought up in my mind how many examples in english of reading about you know jesus sweating um, and that even you know jesus washing the disciples feet like that he got down he had a cloth in his hands right he, you know, had his hands in the water and, and taking care of it and experiencing the muck and the mud and the, the humility of the, there's so many of the tangibles, you know, even like Jesus spit and created, you know, mud so he could put it on the man's eyes and that there's so many earthy ways that Jesus demonstrated his presence and that it was not just, oh, this is an interesting little aside or this paints a, a picture. No, like this is how he demonstrated that he was fully man <laughs> and yet fully God that he was able to redeem and, and work miracles. Yeah. 
one more example from Shikalahari. <laughs> we'll just kind of lean into some of the English stuff following that. But this is Luke 24. Again, these were some of the first passages that we translated here and just learned more about how people saw Jesus in the world. So Luke 24 is where Jesus rises from the dead, but then there's the story of the disciples on the road to Emmaus. And, mm-hmm. and, and when we pick it up at verse 30, he's arrived at the village with them after having talked with them along the way. And he's proceeds like he's going to go on further. So verse 29, actually, in Shekalahare, they begged him or, you know, strongly urged him saying, Rula lechwe, so stay with us here. And by the way, this rula is the same. We have in English, we have dwell, we have abide, we have, you know, live. A lot of languages just capture all of that in one word, and that's this word here. So stay, remain with us, abide with us, dwell with us, be with us, be present with us, right? Which is what Jesus does in uh, the incarnation. So he said, yeah, rula, that you stay with us here. The the day is coming to an end. It's over. Okay. So he entered into their house with them, Arula Nabo, he stayed with them. Yare Nje Nabo Hatafuleng, so then they came to a table and sat. Atsola Barokchod, he took bread. Alibucha Morimo, he blessed God, Abebe Abu Kokhanya Baneo, and he began to give it to him. So this Barokcho there is bread. Again, in in so many of the uh Neighboring translations, there was an older word for bread that was unknown as bread anymore. And so they believed that Jesus, when at communion, at this event, whatever it is he's taking, it's like, well, they just picture it's these little wafers that you have at communion time in your church, right? That he's always just got these things and that's what he's breaking. And so when the translators put Barocchio in there, it was saying to people that there was just, it was the bread they were going to eat. He took normal bread and bless that and again it's not like a matter of like okay so we're just supposed to use normal bread it's just like you mean jesus is just like us like this is too at the end of a day when it's evening we're not going to travel any further it's dangerous to travel out there we're going to invite people in we're going to sit and break bread or paleche porridge and jesus is just like us and there's it was remarkable to see you know these are just three examples but how that's where the the focus went it's the way communication works is when there's new information that sort of shifts your paradigm, that's where your mind is drawn to say, wait, wait, what's that? I want to see that more and how close personal Jesus begins to emerge for the Bacalahari. But that's what the incarnation ultimately is, is this majestic, all-powerful God is present, walking with us and remains with mm-hmm. us. And just as you're talking over and over about walking with us. I'm reminded of in Genesis that, you know, God walked in the garden with Adam and with Eve and that this was how God created in, in his relationship and the restoration that he brings with Christ, that he's walking among his people again and that they see him they, they don't necessarily fully understand. They're still living in this tension of this, you know, already that the Lord is redeeming his creation, and yet they they are rejecting him too, you know, then continuing to, to recognize that the incarnation is a, a mystery and yet so concrete, yeah. you know, that it is beyond our comprehension and yet 
it's so understandable that even children say God sent his son in, in, in this little baby and he grew up and he lived a perfect life and he died for us and he rose and so complex and yet so fundamental to not only our faith of understanding who God is, but also who we are called to be in him. Because he's he said not only that, you know, he has taken on our flesh, but he's also called us to be his ambassadors, right? Mm-hmm. And and walking out and being incarnational in the way of being his hands and feet. That too is very earthy of what does that look like to say that God has sent his, his son, but he's also sent us to embody him to the nations. Right. Yeah, and to, to be in the mess and to walk among us, which is what he did. I mean, yeah, we've on our prior Christmas episode, we landed on this a little bit of if Jesus is going into the world at that point, you know, first century Middle East is not a great place to go and be born. There's not a lot of great health care. It's kind of dirty and messy. And so, but that's where God chose to make himself present and incarnate in that place and from there radiate out in the, the rest of the world. And so I think where we'll go from here is just so, like, what are some of the implications? What are some of the things that this brings to mind? And, and so for me, one of them is Hebrews 4.15. So as you said, yeah, even little kids can say, yeah, God came into the world as Jesus and he died for our sins. And there's that, and there's this very present and complex reality of Hebrews 4.15. We don't have a high priest, so Jesus again, who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. So all of whatever it is that we struggle with, that we continually turn back to and fall into again and again, Jesus knows what it's like to live in that tension. He was tempted. He also experienced temptation, and yet he didn't have sin, but he still knows what it feels like to have that thing that triggers you back to the behavior you don't want to do or the thing you don't want to think or the way you don't want to be. He knows that, and so uh, he can relate to that, and we can pour out our struggles before him. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm just reading it from the New Living Translation in front of me, this high priest of ours understands our weaknesses for he faced all of the same testings we do, yet he did not sin. And so let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. There we will receive his mercy and we will find grace to help us when we need it most. Right. And the I think that there's a campaign right now of like, or there was of like, he gets us. Yep, he gets still, you. Still going. Yep. And it's he gets us, and so let us right. be different. Let let us be transformed into his likeness. Yeah. That he did not come to bear our our shame and all of the brokenness for us to stay the same. You yep. know right. the the idea of he became man and bore our punishment but that it's in a way it's like okay i he he went through every everything that i would go through in my lifetime abandonment betrayal rejection yeah. uh, what is it that we talked about in devotions of 
injustice and slander. He went through all of that, and yet he remained perfect. We will go through all of that, and we will be far from perfect, and yet he calls us to be like him, to continually be renewed and living into that redemption. What does it look like for us to be incarnate? What does it look like for us to be transformed and uh, this renewal of our minds and being a new creation? You know, he is the, the firstborn of new creation in the resurrection. We're supposed to be resurrection people. So like, I know I'm getting my holidays all mixed up at this <laughs> no, that's point, the thing, right? but that it's this anticipation. Christmas is this reminder and this celebration, but it is also this Advent. Sometimes we, we get lost in Advent and think that it's about all of the anticipation of Christmas. And what it really is, is the anticipation of his second coming right. because it is the looking forward to the new creation. And that's, that's what he has given us and that's what we're supposed to also give to others in in our love in our acts of service in our deeds of faith are all supposed to be incarnate and ambassadors for him yeah and i think it's critically important that you know sometimes the idea that's put out there that so jesus came he gets us and i'm not saying the campaign saying this but a a way that that can be interpreted is he he lived the same way than the same problems we did and he showed us a better way so you can follow that way mm. that's true but it's not complete right he also made possible to follow that way by his death and resurrection any obstacle that remains between us and god is fully removed and we're just completely freed to yeah. focus on there's a different way there's a better way there's a way that scripture tells us that it's possible to live and to love in and also to be called back to repentance because as human beings we're always gonna have our struggles but there's a better way there's a better way and we jesus not only shows us the way he makes it possible and empowers us to be in that way to walk in that way because he is the way he is the way and yeah i that's just i think that maybe sometimes we reduce jesus to um Oh, you know, he's, he understands our weaknesses. So he's, you know, he's just this buddy. He's this friend. And he's so much more than that. Like, yes, he is our friend. He, he said, I call you friends. And yet, you know, there's this challenge that pastoral leadership institute says of like high challenge and high invitation. Like he, he does both in the incarnation. Like we are high invitation welcome to his side because he was among us he understood our weaknesses and yet he calls us to be like him through his grace through his redeeming power of the holy spirit's gift right like that's that's the other part of the story is the incarnation but then also the gift of our great helper and the advocate as we are not left alone as orphans But instead that he's like, I know you, I know you can't do this on your own. I've made this new, but you, you cannot keep going on your own. And I am going to continue to dwell among you. In fact, I'm going to dwell in you. Yes. 
Yep. And to come back to the idea of yeah, Jesus isn't just our buddy in saying, so he gets us, so you can just kind of be who you are. I mean, Romans 3, really, this is some of the most complex theology in the Bible. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith. All right, so that's the incarnation ultimately also results in God presented Christ. Christ is God. <laughs> God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith. And then he did this to demonstrate his righteousness because in his forbearance, which means he like kind of let things go, didn't immediately punish, right? He had left sins committed beforehand unpunished. Verse 26 in Romans 3 He did it to demonstrate his righteousness at the present time, so he is the one who is both just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Christ Jesus. So you're just because Christ is just, and yet you're justified because Christ justifies you. And this is what God presented in Christ, in the incarnation, that is what makes the way. Is that too complex to leave in the podcast? (laughs) (laughs) Well, I'm just, reading I, from I get, the New Living Translation, so, you know, I'm trying to follow along with... Just all of it is like, there's there's tension, it's so strong in every mm-hmm. point, so it's like, well, do you mean this? No, it's also this. Do you mm-hmm. mean this? No, but it's also this. Like, you can't go mm-hmm. off one end or the other. It's mm-hmm. the, like, even in the embodiment of Jesus himself, fully God and fully man. So, you know, how much God and how much man, all of it. Mm-hmm. 100, both. 100. Yeah. And so, yeah, it's just, it's just wild. It's mind-boggling. Mm-hmm. It can be the title, <laughs> Incarnation, It's Mind-Boggling. This is just a, the rest of the passage I had, passages I had looked up just thinking about incarnation, really just wanted to drill down on reminding ourselves of how close God is to us and how close then, you know, Christ is to us and this, we're close to God because we're close to Christ. In the Gospel of John, it says, if you've seen me, Jesus says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Like, that's that's the way that we explain and understand who God is and his nature by by what Christ does. So Psalm 34, 18, the Lord is close to the brokenhearted. Revelation 1, 17 and 18, I love that one because Jesus, now the, the resurrected Jesus, is standing there before John and saying, I died and I live again and I have the keys of death and Hades. So, you know, the worst thing as a human being that could pos- that can be experienced, you know, death, I've been there. And just the way it says it, I died mm-hmm. and I rose again and now I've got the keys. And just the closeness, knowing that he's close and he's got the keys, whatever it is that is your struggle that feels insurmountable right now, Jesus has been there and he's got the keys uh, following him, are you going to feel instant relief in this life? Are you going to feel, is it ever even going to get resolved in this life? It's, you know, we don't know. That's up to God. But we do know that love, the word made flesh, walked among us, tabernacle among us, is close. He wept. He ate food. He got tired. He got hungry. He died. Then he rose again. And he calls us to follow him. And so I love that revelation. Uh, passage there and revelation 21 he will wipe away every tear from their eyes and second corinthians 1 4 there's that call that we comfort each other with the comfort that has been given to us just this real closeness and these results of hey if god has become a man and walked among us and been with us and knows us 
and then freed us to be in right relationship with God and then say, you know, the, that first result of sin was to be turned in on ourselves and to be separated from God. Now we're not separated from God. We could turn back out and there's all these people here to love and to walk in right relationship with, to forgive, to help, to comfort. And Jesus, you know, that tear is going to wipe away every tear from our eyes. He puts a cloth in our hand and says, mm-hmm. go and do that. Mm-hmm. And if I had to quote uh, Linus, that's what Christmas <laughs> is all about. You know, I mean, this is, you have the event, but that event is a hinge upon which all history turns and has ongoing implications that will never end. I mean, even when Jesus comes back, then, you know, all those who are his will be gathered to him. But it all finds its start at a manger in Bethlehem, a little baby being born, and that just reverberates throughout all of history. We're so glad that you've been able to join us on this special Christmas podcast episode on Essentially Translatable, and we pray that you and your family have a very blessed Christmas, that you get to share the love of Christ incarnate with your friends, families, neighbors, people you may have never met yet. We thank you, and God bless you. Thank you for listening to the Essentially Translatable podcast brought to you by Lutheran Bible Translators. You can find past episodes of the podcast at lbt.org slash podcast or subscribe on Audible, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Follow Lutheran Bible Translators' social media channels on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter, or go to lbt.org to find out how you can get involved in the Bible translation movement and put God's Word in their hands. The Essentially Translatable podcast is edited and produced by Audrey Sider. Our executive producer is Emily Wilson. Artwork designed by Sarah Radowski. Music written and performed by Rob Veit. I'm Rich Rodowski. So long for now. <laughs>